brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome, everybody, and today we're going to be talking about the psychopathic mind, which is the mind of a killer. And, you know, obviously, uh, in the wake of uh, Las Vegas shooting, I thought this might be a very important show for people, and next week I'm going to talk about surviving trauma, So, because I've been treating so many people um, from the Las Vegas shooting uh, here in Southern California. There's just a lot of people that were there from here, and even some folks from Las Vegas that come here uh, or somewhere near there and come here to uh, get some help. So anyway, what is a psychopath? Well, you know, to clear up any confusion about the meanings of both a sociopath and a psychopath, uh, in the early 1800s, basically doctors who, who uh, with mental patients began to notice that some of their patients appeared outwardly normal uh, and, and basically what they termed a term of moral uh, depravity or moral insanity. And, and they seemed to possess no sense of ethics or rights of other people. And so the term psychopath was first applied to these people around 1900. The term was changed to sociopath in the 30s to emphasize the damage they do on uh, society. But currently, researchers have returned to using the, cer- the term psychopath. Some of them use that term to refer to more serious disorder uh, linked to genetic traits producing more dangerous individuals while continuing to see the sociopath uh, to refer to less dangerous people who are seen more as products of their environment, including uh, their upbringing. You know, other researchers make a distinction between primary psychopaths who are thought to be genetically caused and secondary psychopaths who are seen more as a product of their environments. But let me tell you this straight up. A psychopath is usually someone who is highly intelligent and highly organized. A sociopath is someone that is Maybe highly intelligent, but more uh, socially disorganized. They're more disorganized. They have less planning. They're more impulsive. Uh, psychopaths are cunning, and, and they, they plan and plan and plan. And that's what they get truly excited about is their plan. And then when they implement the plan, that is the, the, the capping of the whole thing. But they really get off on the whole planning thing. And building their mind up to what they're going to be doing. Now, what is another trait? What are some traits of a psychopath? Number one, they're uncaring. Uh, psychopaths, they're cautious and they show a lack of empathy. Uh, and some people would call that in normal terms, cold heartedness. The criteria for a dissocial personality disorder includes a cautious unconcern for the feelings of others. There are now several uh, lines of evidence that point to biological grounding. For the uncaring nature that, that, of the psychopath, that it may actually be something they got from their parents or relatives uh, from, from beyond their parents. Um, you know, and for us, you know, caring is largely emotional driven. You know, the brains of psychopaths have been found to have weak connections among the components of the brain's emotional systems. And what's interesting is uh, the, 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 the guy who shot in Las Vegas, Stephen Paddock, 
his brain was actually, they did an autopsy on it. They determined that it was a normal brain, but now they're sending it for neurological to see if it is connected to that uh, fact that that kind of a mind does have a biological tendency to it to have a problem. You know, and that's really cool that they're able to get that kind of research because when people show those signs, we're going to be able to better define who may be a killer and who may not be a killer. Now, uh, you know, the psychopaths have shallow emotions uh, to a degree, and sociopaths show a, a lack of emotion, especially social emotions such as shame or guilt or embarrassment. And uh, they also are highly irresponsible. Uh, they show uh, unreliable nature and, and irresponsibility, and they uh, blame, externalize other people. They can't be wrong. They have a real big problem with taking accountability for anything that they do. They also are very insincere in their speech. The, you know, they, they are glib. They're superficial. Uh, they may be uh, charming to some degree uh, because they're so blunt. Uh, they, they do not tell the truth, and they are very insincere. And uh, it's, it's a term called uh, uh, pathological lying. And there's a tendency towards devaluing speech among psychopaths by inflating and distorting it toward their selfish ends. And so the other thing that, that psychopaths or social, yeah, psychopaths have is they're overconfident. They have a very grandiose sense of self-worth. And uh, they, they are very boastful of the things that they feel that they're highly intelligent about. And also, uh, they have a very narrow attention span. And so their, their core deficit as, in psychopath is a failure of what they call uh, uh, call response modulation. You know, when normal uh, people engage in something, we are able to alter our activity, modulate our, our responses. But depending on the relevant uh, information that appears after the task has begun. But psychopaths are specifically deficient in the ability to do this. And it explains their impulsivity of psychopaths, a trait which shows up in several uh, of their list of criteria. Now, when we talk about their impulsivity, what that means is things that they don't feel important, they cut they cut uh, corners to get there. But when they feel that something is very important, like they're working on a project, something that they're trying to get done, they're very focused on that outcome uh, to the degree in which they could care less about anyone else. You know, uh, they also are very selfish. They they have a, a ego a egocentry that is very high, and but yet they have the incapacity to actually love. They also have the inability to plan for the future. They show a failure to follow any life plan. But when they do follow a plan, it's about doing something that they want to get done. So they kind of float through life. They have a lack of realistic long-term goals. But they're also they have a, a, a carefree non-plannedness about them, except for when it comes down to their plots and plans. Also, uh, violence. The 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 dissocial personality is they have a very low tolerance to frustration and a very low threshold for discharge of aggression, including violence. So the people that are close to them will find out that they have a very short temper. And uh, they also are have an antisocial component of them where they're irritable and aggressive uh, when they're in uh, and they oftentimes could even get in physical or they love to do verbal fighting. 
you know, they, it's really important to understand these are the general characteristics of a psychopath. But we're going to narrow it down because not all psychopaths are alike. And by the way, not all people that are psychopaths are going to kill. And so we're not always talking about the people that kill. Psychopaths can be in all kinds of different jobs and all kinds of different areas. So let's try, there is a psychopath actual test that people can take to uh, define, but yet you don't want to take it for yourself. You want to look at your partner and take it for them because they're not going to be, nobody's going to actually be realistic when it comes down to themselves. But this, uh, if you answer any of these questions, and these are about your partner, uh, zero is, means that no, my partner doesn't do anything at all. One, as an answer, is yes, my partner does that sometimes. And two is yes, my partner does that all the time. Now, when you tally that score, if the score is uh, 30 or above, chances are that you're going to be dating or you're with somebody that has psychopathic tendencies. So here's the questions. Does your partner shrug off important subjects with glibness? Do they exhibit superficial charm? If your partner is self-centered with an inflated sense of self, is are they? Does your partner need stimulation constantly from more uh, extreme experiences? Does your partner lie to you, you, you or others? Does your partner con or manipulate you or others? Does your partner show a lack of guilt or a remorse when he or she hurts someone? Do they appear to have only shallow feelings or feel things superficially? Do they have trouble emphasizing, uh, uh, empathizing with pain of other people? Do, are they callous towards others? Also, are they in relationships where they use others, like a parasitic type of relationship? Does your partner have poor control over his or her behavior? Does your partner display promiscuous sexual behavior? Did your partner have behavioral problems early in childhood? Does your partner have a hard time making realistic long-term goals? Is your partner impulsive? Is your partner irresponsible? Does your partner refuse to accept responsibility? Has your partner had many marital or significant relationships? Were they a juvenile delinquent? Have they ever been on parole or had parole revoked? Or is your partner a criminal in many areas? And that's called a versatile criminal. Now, if you look at the results of this, here's how certain people scored on the psychopathic trait leaderboard. And this is uh, from the Oxford University research. Number one, Saddam Hussein, score 189. Henry VIII, 178. Idi Amin, 176. Donald Trump, 171. Adolf Hitler, 169. William the Conqueror, 165. St. Paul, 157. Jesus, 157. Winston Churchill, 155. Napoleon Bonaparte, 153. Hillary Clinton, 152. Emperor Nero, 151, Oliver Cromwell, 136, Margaret Thatcher, 136, and George Washington, 132. Isn't that amazing that those folks would be on that high of a result? It's not amazing. I don't think it'd be totally surprising. But, you know, it, it's, 
it's unbelievable to, to look at how many people can actually be psychopaths and where they can reside. Now, what jobs would a psychopath be in if they're out in the workplace? Well, here's a list of jobs. Number one is a CEO. Number two is a lawyer. Three is media, TV, radio, especially on TV. Uh, salespeople, number four, surgeons, journalists, police officers, clergy persons, chefs, civil servants, and if you want to uh, look at jobs with the lower rates, uh, a care aide, a nurse, a therapist, a craftsperson, a beautician, a charity worker, a teacher, a creative artist, a doctor, or possibly, and guess who was one, an accountant. And that was the guy who did the shooting in Las Vegas. That's why he is such a weird one. Uh, he falls outside of what people would uh, be able to identify as a psychopath. Now, not 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 from a sense of his personality. His, his personality certainly has lots of ingredients of a psychopath. So, you know, psychopaths are out there in the workplace. And although psychopaths typically represent a relatively small percent of the staff, they can do enormous damage when they're in senior management roles. Psychopaths are usually most common at higher levels of corporate organizations. And just because someone is a psychopath doesn't mean that they're evil. Um, it means they may have very good uh, intentions. It's just that their, their detrimental effects increase because they use bullying, conflict, stress, staff turnover, and absenteeism is always a part of their productivity. Um, and oftentimes they hold themselves out there for social responsibility is why they're able to be the way they are. Also, uh, entire organizations can truly be damaged in a, if, if a corporate psychopath is in charge. And uh, many leaders have psychopathic characteristics, but they're not full-blown psychopaths. You know, uh, um, academics basically refer to psychopaths in the workplace individually uh, as uh, workplace psychopaths or executive psychopaths, uh, corporate psychopaths, business psychopaths. And there's also successful and office psychopaths. You know, workplace, here's how to identify some of their features. They are often charming to their staff above their level in the work hierarchy, but abusive to staff below that level. Uh, also, workplace psychopaths manage, maintain uh, multiple personas throughout the office, presenting each person with a different version of themselves. They also... Um, uh, you know, they use uh, successful psychopaths, use uh, our corporate climbers, and they're involved in irregular crime. They tend to have a more privileged background, a higher IQ, and a uh, little risk of legal penalties. You know, unsuccessful psychopaths usually are involved in regular crime and tend to have the less privileged backgrounds, the lower IQ, and a much more risk of legal penalties. So basically, um, the unsuccessful psychopaths work kind of out of anger. They're very disorganized in their process. But once again, they get good at crime, a certain crime, but they oftentimes don't leave a good trail or leave a trail that they can be caught. You know, 1%, it is said that 1% of the general population meets the clinical criteria for psychopathy. And uh, the prevalence of psychopaths is higher in the business world than in the general population. So that figure is around 3 to 4% uh, of people in senior positions in a business have been cited 
uh, as psychopaths. And also the organizational psychopath, which I referred to earlier, they crave a godlike feeling of power and control over other people. They prefer to work in a very highest levels of their organizations, allowing them to control the greater number of people. So, uh, you know, their political leaders, their managers, their CEOs, they all fall into that category. Now, an organizational psychopath generally appears to be intelligent, sincere, powerful. They're charming. They're witty. They're entertaining communicators. Yet they quickly assess what people want to hear, and then they create stories to fit that the expectations. And they will con people into doing their work for them, and then take credit for other people's work, and even assign their work to junior staff members. They they have a low patience when dealing with others, and they display shallow emotions. And, and uh, they're unpredictable and they're un- undependable and they fail to take responsibility if someone goes wrong. It's never, ever, ever their fault. Also, uh, the workplace psychopath may show a high number of uh, b- behavioral uh, problems and patterns. And th- these individual behaviors are not exclusive to the workplace, but here's some of them. Uh, public humiliation of others, a high propensity of having temper tantrums and ridiculing work performance, meticulous spreading of lies. That is a, an, an intentional deceitful behavior, uh, remorseless or devoid of guilt. Also, they are frequently lie to push their point and they rapidly shift between emotions used to manipulate people and cause high anxiety. They also intentionally isolate persons from their organizational resources and they're very quick to blame others for mistakes, for incomplete work, even though they are guilty themselves of the same thing. They also encourage uh, co-workers to torment, alienate, harass and humiliate their peers and they also take credit for other people's accomplishments they steal and sabotage other person's works they refuse to take responsibility for misjudgments or errors they threaten any perceived enemy with discipline and job loss in order to taint employees lives and and, uh, and and their work they also want to set unrealistic and unachievable job expectations to set employees up to fail that these are all qualities that you will see in a workplace psychopath. They they refuse uh, or, or they're reluctant to attend meetings with more than one person. They refuse to provide adequate training and instructions to single out a victim. They invade the personal privacy of other people. They also have multiple sexual encounters with other employees. They also develop new ideas without real follow-through. And they're v- very self-centered, extremely egotistical, and they have a great deal of self-importance. And they often, they borrow money or material objects without any intentions of giving them back, and they'll do whatever it takes to close the deal. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about female psychopaths, how they're a little bit different, and we're going to go to serial killers, mass murderers, and all those horrible people. Thanks. Come back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell 
and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, We're talking about the corporate psychopath at this point. You know, they're the most common psychopath out there. Corporate psychopaths, they are totally recruited into organizations because they make a very distinct positive impression at interviews. They, they usually appear to be alert, friendly, easy to get along with and to talk to. They look like they're, you know, of good ability, emotionally well-adjusted and reasonable. Yet these traits often make them attract, uh, attractive to those in charge of, hi- and of hiring staffs of organizations. But unlike narcissists, psychopaths are better able to create long-lasting, favorable first impressions, though people may still eventually see through their facades. You know, psychopaths' undesirable personality traits may be easily uh, misperceived, by even skilled interviewers. For instance, their irresponsibility may be misconstrued by uh, uh, by psychopaths as risk-taking or entrepreneurial, uh, um, uh, entrepreneurial spirit. And, and they're also their thrill-seeking tendencies may be conveyed as high energy or as enthusiasm for the job or work. Their superficial charm may be uh, um, misrepresented by interviews as charisma. And it's worth noting that psychopaths are only accomplished liars. They're also more likely to lie in interviews. For instance, psychopaths may create fictitious work experiences or resumes. They may also fabricate credentials such as diplomas, certifications, award. And so in addition to seeming competent and likable in interviews, they are also more likely to outright make up information during interviews um, 
than non-psychopaths. Also, corporate psychopaths within organizations may be singled out for a rapid promotion because of their growth, their polish, their charm, their cool decisiveness. They're also helped by their manipulative bullying skills. They create confusion around them, divide and rule, using instrumental bullying uh, to promote their own agenda. Now, there are such things as a female psychopath. Yep. You know, new research suggests some of the difference between men and women may not be in the existence of deceitful, manipulative, exploited personality traits. In the expression of them is what where you would see that with a woman. Specifically, in the research, they found that women may be more likely to express personal deficits through behaviors that are typically associated with uh, other mental illnesses. They found that overlap between some of the symptoms, such as histrionic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder. Now, what is a histrionic pers- uh, personality? Well, a histrionic personality is hysterical. Uh, they, they like attention. They want to be the center of attention. And a borderline personality is someone who takes a side and then they change sides and then they take a side. They always have to be right and they're always keeping you off they're always making you feel like you're not good enough, not correct. Um, they make people feel bad about themselves. They change their mind constantly. They don't remember things the way they happened, but yet they want to demand that it happened the way they remember it. So borderlines are crazy makers. So uh, a woman whose extreme fear of abandonment uh, may lead her to periodic outbursts of rage over real or imagined transgressions. And they, they flip between seeing their significant other either as completely perfect or totally evil or who has to constantly be the center of attention. Uh, certainly isn't who we think of when we think of a, a classic psychopath, but they a, a woman may be just as incapable of true empathy or just as manipulative and deceitful as the uh, cautious, unemotional male. So they, they oftentimes do more of the personality traits of being uh, high attention getting and also keeping everybody off their off their base, never feeling you never feel good about yourself when you're around a borderline, uh, because they're always keeping things crazy. They're always making things dramatic and difficult. Now let's look at a serial killer. Here's some quotes uh, from uh, creepy Ted Bundy. Um, you know he was a very callous, uh, explosive individual. He was impulsive and he was a crazy. Um, And he was a serial killer. So he said, I didn't know what made people want to be friends. I didn't know what made people attractive to one another. I didn't know what underlying uh, social interactions were. He said also, I don't feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for the people who feel guilt. And he also said, I am a cold MF as you've ever put your effing eyes on. I don't give a shit about those people. That's what he would say. You know, uh, serial killers typically have a real affinity with power. Even when they, and by doing that, that means that everybody is an object. They are powerful. You are an object. They treat people as an object rather than as a person. So it's simply like throwing a glass against the wall and breaking it for them. And, And, you know, even when they've been caught, serial killers know the game is up. Their intent is usually on exerting some kind of control over people around them, and they often hold back 
bits of crucial information in a bid to maintain power over the situation, gain attention, and assert a, a, a warped sense of authority. That sense of authority is what they thrive on. Serial killers want power. That's their whole goal, and they want to see what your reaction to their power is going to be. They, it's all an experiment for them. You know, uh, apparent vulnerability and the need to please have been used uh, uh, effectively time and time again by serial killers as a way of hiding their personality. And so some of the world's best-known serial killers have a frightening ability to manipulate those around them. So they press the right buttons in order to present themselves in a false light as somebody that's vulnerable, somebody that's caring, somebody that's empathetic. So they, they show themselves as opposite, and then you find out who they truly are after you're in their web and caught. You know, they, they, um, some of the world uh, serial killers are also often able to manipulate a situation and in order to pass the blame from their actions using hot button issues of the day or, or medical pathological research to explain their actions. They're also very egotistical. Um, many of them, many serial killers have that egotistical quality and they can't help but bring, you know, brag about their, their atrocities. Usually they take little uh, trophies away from their events. They'll take articles or something away from their events so they can remember them and cherish that memory over and over and over again. They love to take articles as historical facts, uh, artifacts of their activities. They also love to track their progress. When they're out there uh, reading the media, what they love to do is read about themselves because that shows how powerful they are and how scared society is of them. And what am I going to do next? How am I going to do it next? And, and they let, totally get off on that media attention that they get out there. Fortunately, we're in a day and age where they can be tracked a little bit easier because they love media so much, but also media can track them. And so you can find out where they're listening, how they're listening, and we have better ways of being able to GPS some of these people. They're also, uh, they can't help brag, they, uh, um, and they love to talk about their victims, their next victim, their, their accomplices, uh, law enforcement, or just themselves. I mean, they just love themselves in many ways. They also tend to have a very good grasp of other people's emotions and are quick to pick up on any vulnerability or weakness in order to convince them into doing things they normally wouldn't. And so they'll get others on, on, on side and take charge of a situation with a mix of compliments and common sense. So what they do, and, and this is how serial killers will work, uh, to get their victim is they often give them compliments. Well, there's an enormous amount of people with low self-esteem out there and they don't know how to take a compliment. And so what happens is they get a compliment. Oh, you're a beautiful person. Oh, you're nice. I love your this. I love this about you. You're such a charming person. You're so intelligent. And and they, people don't know how and they'll go, no, I'm not. I, really? You think that? You know, they just don't know how to and they make it really hard for people to give them compliments because they don't know how to accept them. For those of you that don't know how to accept a compliment, just say thank you. Because if it's a serial killer, they're testing your vulnerabilities that way by giving you compliments and making observations of you. So you want to be very careful when you're out in public and people come up to you and give you compliments. Don't feed into it. Just say thank you. Thank you. That's it. You don't have to feed into it. And that says, hey, I agree. Or, you know what, I may not agree, but I'm not going to show you that card. You know, you just want to don't ever 
ever want to show your vulnerabilities on your shirt sleeves or your dress sleeves. <laughs> you know, possibly the scariest trait of all is that many serial killers look like a pillar of the community at first sight. You know, however, it's a way of gaining trust only to abuse it in the most appalling ways. And this tactic has enabled many to get away with a lot of deviant stuff behind closed doors. Look at this scandal with Harvey Weinstein and all the crap that he did. There is a psychopath for you. There is a psychopath. That is somebody who preys on people. He builds traps and then he executes. And that is the scariest thing about that dude. All right, now let's talk about another very, very important thing called a mass murderer. You know, mass murderers, there are uh, depressingly becoming very familiar in the United States. And we now expect to experience a media grabbing shooting about once a month. And the frequency can only increase in future uh, in the future because copycat killers love to get that kind of publicity. And so they get spawned by uh, the seductive opportunity to gain the spotlight. And that's what's so scary about them. You know, amidst the anguish and the heartbreak by the victims' families, there are always two haunting questions out there. What motivates someone to kill strangers wholesale in a seemingly senseless way? And what, if anything, can we do to stop these tragedies from reoccurring? You know, most uh, mass perpetrators are young males who act alone after carefully planning the event. And then they often have a long-standing fascination with weapons and have collected large stores of them. And the shootings usually occur in public place and during the daytime. Now, individual case studies involving psychological autopsy and a careful analysis uh, of uh, copious communications that are left behind by these uh, psychopathic mass murderers is the mass murderer is an injustice uh, collector who spends a great deal of time feeling resentful about real or imagined rejections, ruminating on, on past humiliations. They usually have a paranoid uh, worldview with, with chronic feelings of social persecution, envy, grudge holding, and they're uh, tormented by beliefs that privileged others are enjoying life's all-you-can-eat buffet while, while they must uh, peer through a window at the outside world. And so they don't fit socially. They just don't feel like they fit in our life at all. And so people to them are not great value to them. You know, they, they're, uh, they, they, they feel, often feel aggrieved and, or entitled, and they really want power and revenge. They're really angry people inside, and they want to obliterate what they cannot have. If they see people enjoying something they cannot enjoy, they want to destroy that. They want to destroy that. They don't want people to have the same joy. They don't want to see people having joy because they don't have joy in their life. They're sad, angry people inside. They're demented in many, many ways, and they're delusional about other people because they're out of touch. They lack that emotional empathy, the emotional understanding. They don't know what true joy really is. And so they have a very miserable, methodical way of thinking, and they're very defensive in their lifestyle. 
And so they build up a lifestyle where they have chronic uh, defense mechanisms out there uh, and, and show that defensiveness through having guns and all kinds of crazy stuff. Not I'm talking about not your regular gun owner, but I'm talking about somebody that hoards tons of guns for purposeless reasons or for the possibility of being able to conduct a crime and kill lots of people. If they want to, if they're going to die, they want as many people to die as they as they can kill. You know, uh, the mass murder they typically expect to die, and frequently they do it in, in what amounts to a mass uh, homicide and then a personal suicide. And they usually kill themselves uh, in a scripted way, in a way that they planned uh, long before the events happen. You know, the frequency of mental disorders and mass murders is. It's hard to tell because it's not clear where to draw the line between bad and mad. You know, the paranoia exists on the spectrum of severity. And, and some of them clearly do not uh, meet the criteria of any mental disorder. Often they may justify their acts on political or religious grounds. Others have the frank psychotic delusions, schizophrenia, and many perpetrators are in the middle. They're gray. And uh, their, their psychiatrists will not be able to pin down or their psychologists will not be able to pin down what mental disorder they have. They see it as anger. And so it's amazing how many of these people are not on anybody's radar. But they're out there. And as they see these models of other people, these terrorists out there killing people, this idiot in Las Vegas killing people, what happens is these kind of people start to identify with those killers and they go, wow. I want to get do that too. Look how people react. Look how much publicity they get. Look, my whole life will be remembered from now on forever because of what I did. They could care less about what the families feel, what the people feel, what children they kill, what the people are. Everybody is just a, a cattle to them in a mass shooting. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk more about these mass murderers. We're going to take some time to go through that profile uh, so that you can understand what it is and maybe you can help somebody. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at drgbmft for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. 
or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, you know, we're talking about mass murderers. We're talking about the mind of a psychopath, the mind of a killer. And the, the, the real truth is that most of these people will never get on the radar because they don't go to therapy. They don't believe in it. They don't want to do it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And, or they may did it in, when they were kids, and then they f- figured that they just didn't like it. But I will tell you that they don't, they're private people. They're very much control freaks, and they don't want people to get in their head and learn about their thinking. You know, uh, um, if you look at it, there are a lot of people that uh, match a psychological profile of a serial killer, of a mass murderer, of a psychopath. But they never act out their fantasies. There's a lot of them out there that never act out their fantasies. We can easily predict a a high-risk group but have no way to identify one specific person who will go haywire and when it will happen. A lot of it has to do with circumstance. A lot of it has to do with their courage or lack of courage. A lot of it has to do with how well they believe in themselves and their plans, how methodical they believe that their plan is thought through. They don't like surprises. And so, uh, you know, most of these people that would be identified as a psychopath, as a mass murderer, as, as a serial killer, may actually live a harmless life because they never act on it. They just have the features. But what they do do is they torture the shit out of everybody in their life. <laughs> and so, you know, everybody around them, especially in a corporate environment, is going to be miserable. So let's go back to these mass murderers. You know, the, the best we can hope for is a reduced access to weapons for mass, of mass destruction. And it, sh- it shouldn't be easier for a potential killer to get a gun than get an outpatient appointment. You know, we need to improve both sides of the equation. More treatment, fewer guns. The only good outcome of a mass murder epidemic has been an increased awareness that mental health treatment is woefully underfunded and inaccessible to most people who desperately need it. So it often takes months to get an outpatient appointment and it's very hard uh, to get even a bed in a uh, psychiatric hospital. Many people that are suicidal will get out of a psychiatric hospital within 24 hours, if not when they're in the waiting room, because they just don't have a bed for them. And it's sad. So it's important to, you know, we want to improve our our, our, uh, mental health on a national scale so that we can try to get in front of these kind of people in some situation where we can at least profile and understand what this diagnosis truly is. You know, the, the, the much more effective step is, is gun control, you know, and, and the balances of civil rights of individuals with safety in the public. And I'm not talking about crazy gun control. I'm not talking about taking guns away from people. I'm saying being able to identify what guns people can have in a better way so that they can't hurt people out in the public on a mass scale, even if they're a mass murderer. But also, you know, getting down to the idea, if, if, if it's not a hunting gun, they shouldn't have it. If it's if it's that's about where the limit should be drawn, a hunting gun, simply because that kind of a gun has a purpose. A pistol obviously has a purpose, but we don't need to have semi-automatic and automatic uh, rifles out there. That's that's crazy. You know, and I I would hope that eventually 
uh, the NRA and, and all the politicians that get on board with that. You know, for a balanced analysis of the civil rights issues that should be considered, the framing of fair, safe, common sense gun control is should be out there. You know, me, these mass murders, um, basically, uh, they are motivated by revenge or envy. So they're hate crimes. And that's why many take place at a school or a workplace or a public uh, a, a, a place where they can get as many people as they can. And, and, uh, and they oftentimes look at places where they feel rejected. You know, uh, many times they're looking for a mass profile of people, a large group of people where they felt rejected, whether it was at school, whether it was in public, whether it was in a workplace. They usually go to where they were most humiliated. And, mo- and most people wouldn't even have known that they were humiliated. You know, in addition, the killers often exhibit risk factors that are generally tied to criminality, like a history of abuse or infected parenting, a tendency to set fires to hurt animals, a sadistic streak or a self-centeredness or a lack of compassion. These are all often ingredients of mass murderers. And to most of us, you know, children are beautiful little creatures that we love. So why could someone target them? Well, in order to kill innocent children, it's possible the killer lacked compassion or empathy for them. Instead, seeing them as symbols of something he wanted to obliterate or something that, that made him angry on an on a airplane or something that he was never able to relate to. You know, shooters, uh, school shooters often harbor, and I've worked one. I've, I've worked a school shooting up in uh, Red Lake, uh, Minnesota at the Indian tribe up there. It was a crazy, horrible, horrible, horrible event. School shooters, they often harbor anger and paranoid delusions. So they have a very low self-esteem. They ha- they hang out with the outcast group. And there's usually a triggering event, either a, a lost job or a falling out with a girlfriend that finally makes them snap. And they also tend to be obsessed with guns and violent video games or violent movies. You know, investigators have uncovered warning signs such as trying to uh, recruit a peer or or writing uh, hateful stories. You know, sometimes they leave a trail like that. You know, uh, sometimes the students actually come out and say exactly what they're going to do. I'm going to come back with a gun and I'm going to kill you. You know, take that serious. If you hear about it, make people know about it. You know, overwhelmingly, mass shooters are usually men. And there's no surprise that when you consider their self-professed motives, they are, and the kids that kill often feel very powerless. And, and, and the one way they can feel like they're, they're somebody, that they're, they're a man, is to get the gun and to kill people. And, you know, our culture and our media, such as uh, violent movies and video games, only reinforce the notion that, that manhood is about attaining power and social and sexual status and violence is glorified as a way to get that power. And they actually believe that. And there is there's a, that, that cultural script that a lot of kids are very influenced by and, and, and in that sense of that's how you become a man. And we don't have a lot of alternative cultural scripts for males in terms of media. You know, society doesn't necessarily teach constructive ways to deal with depression and disappointment either. And we provide very little support to people at risk uh, before they become violent. And each mass shooting also holds the potential to spawn others because other would-be shooters see stories about the crimes in the newspaper. Many want to emulate those uh, mass murderers. And, And despite a fairly consistent profile, psychologists can't predict who's going to kill. 
we cannot profile who is going to kill perfectly because they're all different and they all have different motives. They all have different desires. We can see features. We can see symptoms like I'm describing here, but that doesn't put the whole person together. You know, millions of people will feel dissatisfied and vengeful and may uh, even lack empathy, but the vast majority might never shoot defenseless six-year-old children. And, and if uh, fascination with media and guns were predictive, the average ninth grade boy would be considered at risk. It's only these kids who are really fundamentally struggling with their own identities. And, and those vulnerable kids who are the ones who will take a movie or a video game that 10 million other kids would watch and play, uh, take as a guide for how to live their lives, that's sad. You know, a lot of these games now are interactive where they can get their friends on. And they basically play the video games together. And the friends could be in Australia, they could be in England, they could be in the United States, in Canada, wherever, France, wherever, China. All over the world, these people could be playing together, but they all love to do the games where they shoot and kill, or they fight and kill, or they steal, and that that kind of puts an impression on them that that's what the world is, and it's sad. You know, even so, you know, psychologists stress the importance of preventing the massacres before they happen, so one step in the right direction might be to also help kids that feel the burden of social isolation and feelings of, of sin, insignificance. When people, kids have low self-esteem, they're getting a wrong step in the life. And what we want to do is build them up. And so many parents uh, always parent to the negative features of their children and, and, and get angry at the negative features of their children. And what they want to continue to do is praise their children for the great things that they do and reinforce their self-esteem rather than suppress it. You know, um, if you are looking at uh, an outline, um, you know, people with uh, psychopathy aren't necessarily found in prison. You know, there's plenty of individuals who have psychopathic traits from the, the lover who unceremoniously, uh, uh, unceremoniously dumps you to the boss who seemed to take pleasure in firing you. They're, they're also people. You know, uh, they're different species, you know, they may have become that way through their many early experiences such as abuse or neglect, but they're also people. And they also uh, don't be quick to jump on uh, the diagnosis bandwagon when you uh, look at people that you think are psychopaths. You know, they may be um, people that uh, have uh, childhood uh, bipolar diagnosis. Alzheimer's, they may, they may have uh, some kind of medical issue going on. There, there could be all kinds of uh, reasons why a person is that way. Um, you know, also, you want to appreciate the fact that psychological disorders rest on a continuum. Unlike physical illness, the disorders may affect the mind can't easily be categorized. Not only do people vary in degree, but but what's normal in culture may be evidence of disorders in other cultures. And so that's a very strange thing. You know, also a lot of people that are mislabeled as uh, uh, psychopaths are people with autism and people that have very mild autistic features. And those mild autistic spectrum people often can be misjudged as somebody that's actually a psychopath. You know, you, you also... Um, it's important it was somebody that has an abnormal psychology for them to, to differentiate and learn between uh, good and bad and values, values, values. So when you see somebody struggling with exercising their values, 
you want to reinforce the fact that, number one, you don't want society to be afraid of them. You don't want people to be afraid of them. You know, that you want them to be normal. You want them to live a good life. And so you want to continue to try to, to uh, support the idea that they're good people. All right. Now, if you are in a mass shooting, there are some things that you want to do to prevent yourself from getting injured or if you're going to survive a mass shooting. Number one, when you get into a place, you need to memorize your exits. You know, uh, you don't need to be paranoid. You just want to be prepared. Yeah, you want to also, if you're in some kind of kill zone, you want to leave as quickly as possible. You want to get out. If it's a shooter, you want to get out of their line of fire, of vision. You also want to stay low on the ground and zigzag. And by doing that, you're narrowing down their target to the point where they may not be able to shoot you. And if people are getting trampled, try to find protection. And I'll tell you what, if you're in a public event where there's lots of drinking, I can tell you that a vast majority of the people that were injured and shot, not all of them, certainly not all of them, but many of those people didn't react because they were drunk. Many of the people didn't take the, 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 the kind of precautions they needed to do because they drank and they were, they were hammered. And it was the end of the concert, and he was smart enough to know that a lot of these people are going to be drunk, and guess what? He could take advantage of that, and they lose all of their ability to get out. Also, uh, if people are trampled, you want to try to find some protection. Uh, you also want to tell their kids that they need to listen to you and carry them if you can, if they're with you. You want to stay off your phone. You want to lock or a barricade yourself in something, and you want to defend yourself as a last resort if you have to. These are things that you want to think about if you're attending uh, some type of mass murder event. You know, um, psychopaths are also known for being cunning and, and manipulative. And, and you can you can spend two or three hours and, and come to the feeling that sometimes by these people that you're almost like hypnotized by them. But... Um, you know, the, 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 the ums and the uhs are about putting the mask of sanity on. And so psychopaths appear to view the world and, and others instrumentally through uh, their talking. And, and so many psychopaths, the, the speech pattern are more likely in psychopaths to be viewed as a, as a logical outcome plan. They, they focus on logical outcome plans. And so, uh, you know, psychopaths usually are following a plan and they get very angry when other people don't follow that, that type of plan. They want to lead and uh, yet they're not great leaders. All right. I'm pulling from all kinds of resources. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Our next show is Surviving Trauma. And this is about how to get through something traumatic once that you've experienced it because it changes your life. It changes your brain. It changes everything about you. Now, remember, divorce is expensive. They were going to call spousal support all of the money, but they changed it to alimony to make it easier to accept. Also, remember, if you are angry at someone... Right, you've been poisoned at the bottom of their coffee cup. And if you're sick, Google your symptoms and you will usually find out you have cancer. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 